0: Well, here's an interesting, if not a little disturbing, statistic for you. According to a recent report from the US, drug overdoses now account for more deaths than motor vehicle accidents in 29 states of America. Now, the report shows that the number of fatal drug overdoses has spiked in the last decade as sales of heavy painkiller medication have quadrupled. But sadly... Uh, the vast majority of these deaths could have been easily prevented if, if people had simply followed the instructions printed on the label. You know, not taking larger doses than recommended, only taking medications prescribed to them, uh, never mixing painkillers with alcohol or other drugs, etc. cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so when it comes to painkiller medication, it makes sense to follow the manufacturer's instructions, to... Use only as directed. Because if you don't, well, the results could be disastrous. Well, the same is true when it comes to family life. Of course, many people begin marriage and parenting with great expectations, but it's not long before those expectations are often replaced with frustration and and disillusionment. But why is that? Well, God is the creator of families. And in the Bible, he clearly tells us how we ought to conduct our relationships within the family. But unfortunately, like the label on painkiller medication, many people, and Christians included, fail to follow God's instructions for family life. They fail to use only as directed. And so a whole lot of heartache results. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Colossians And tonight we reach the second half of chapter 3. If you don't already have it open in front of you, can I encourage you to grab a Bible now, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, it's page 834 of the small print, 1835 of the large print Bibles. And tonight we're going to look at God's instructions for marriage and family life. And we'll begin by first considering what God has to say to wives. So read with me. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So, wives, what does God want you to do? He wants you to submit to your husbands. Why? Because it is fitting or appropriate for you to do so. But what does it mean for you to submit to your husband? Well, to submit to someone means to recognise their God-given position of leadership and to willingly put yourself under their authority. Now, all Christians, all Christians are called to submit to appropriate authorities in various contexts, whether it be to their parents or civil authorities or their church leaders. But here, in the context of marriage... It's you as the wife who is called to submit to your husband. That is God's good design for marriage. The husband lovingly leads and the wife willingly follows his lead. Not because you are in any way inferior to your husband, but simply because your role is different to his. It's like when you want to listen to beautiful symphony music. You've got a conductor and you've got an orchestra. You can't have the orchestra without the conductor. That won't work. You can't have the conductor without the orchestra. That won't work either. No, you need them both for it to work. It's not that one is more important or or more valuable than the other. It's just that they've got different complementary roles to play. But what kind of husband does a Christian wife need to submit to. Well, as I look at this command here, the only qualifier that I can see is the word her, her. So that means she's called to submit to her husband, um, regardless of any other factors. In other words, it doesn't matter if he's a Christian or not. It doesn't matter who in the marriage has the higher IQ It doesn't matter who's had the most experience. It doesn't matter if he's not a natural leader and you are. It doesn't matter whether you disagree with him in almost everything. No, if he's your husband, God calls you to submit to him. But what does this kind of submission look like in practice? Well, unfortunately, submission is so widely misunderstood today, we probably need to start by talking about what it's not. Submission does not mean that you need to be a cowering doormat. You're never allowed to voice your opinion. You know, always walking on eggshells, lest you upset your tyrannical husband. No. Submission is not about being a mousy wife. In fact, it's partly because of this misconception that society scorns the whole idea. But they've got it wrong. That's the wrong picture. The picture of a submissive wife that God offers us, it's actually a beautiful one, one of great creativity, uh, strength and freedom. I mean, just check out the woman, the wife, described in Proverbs 31, and you'll see what I mean. It's all about... Uh, using all of your gifts and wisdom to actively and generously serve alongside your husband as a partner in life, whilst always encouraging him to take his place of Christ-like headship in the marriage. It's making it a priority to do the things your husband would like you to do and not doing the things he'd rather you didn't. It's trying to please him with all your heart, out of love for him and love for Christ. Now, exactly how that will play out in different marriages will, of course, vary. But let me suggest a few specific ways you can honour your husband's position of leadership. Things like, like, like thanking God for your husband and dwelling on his strengths rather than his weaknesses. Respectfully making requests of him, instead of being bossy. Uh, Using your words to build him up, uh, rather than tear him down. Listening to his ideas, and respectfully sharing your own, but ultimately letting him make final decisions when you disagree. If he said no about something you've discussed, it'll mean not nagging, but trusting God to lead him. It'll mean respecting your husband in front of the children and making sure that they respect him too. And speaking respectfully about your husband with others, like your friends or or your parents. And of course, it'll mean praying for your husband, recognising the weight of responsibility he bears. Wives, I know that at times submitting to your husband will be a very hard and maybe even a very scary thing to do. But remember, you've got a loving Heavenly Father to whom you can give all your fears and concerns. And he will help you and bless you when you trust him in this. Well, okay, husbands... Now it's your turn. What are you instructed to do here? Well, read with me verse 19. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So, husband, what are you to do? You're to love your wife and not be harsh with her. But what does it mean to love your wife? What is love in the Bible? Well, it's more than just a warm, fuzzy feeling, isn't it? Now, the, the, the standard of love set before us in the Bible is none other than the love that Jesus has shown us. A love that took him to the cross, where he willingly suffered and died because he wanted, well, he wanted the very best for sinners like you and me. Now, that's what real biblical love is like. And so, husbands, that means that as you now think about your role as God's appointed leader in your marriage, that you can't simply afford to think of that in terms of sitting back and just barking out orders. No, that's not loving like Jesus. Remember, he came to this earth as the greatest of all authorities. But what did his leadership entail? Well, basically sacrificing himself in the service of others, washing their feet and giving up his life for them. And so now as God calls you to love and lead your wife, I hope that you can see that this this crown that you have been handed is actually a crown of thorns. It's an invitation to lovingly sacrifice yourself for the good of your wife. Jesus gave up his life in love for others. And now you're going to have to give up some things too in order to love your wife. It might be your comfort, your ambitions, your pride, your hobbies, your time, your money. But it will cost you. And again, the only qualifier that I can see here is is the word your your, as long as she's your wife, you're called to love her. Regardless of how lovable you happen to think she might be. Regardless of whether or not she respects you. Regardless of whether or not she meets your needs. It doesn't matter. You are simply called to love her. And you're commanded to not be harsh with her either. In other words, there's absolutely no room for us us husbands to ever direct our anger towards our wives. No cutting words. No bitterness. No violence of any sort. These are crushing to our wives. And they're completely inappropriate for us as Christian husbands but you are to lovingly lead your wife. So what will that look like? Well, at the very least, it'll mean living with your wife and protecting her and providing for her. And beyond that, it'll mean investing in your marriage, spending time with your wife, actually listening to what she has to say. It'll mean taking the lead in reading the Bible together and praying. It'll mean leading by example, you know, working hard at your own Christian life. It'll mean having the gumption, in consultation with your wife, to make tough decisions for the good of your family. It'll mean communicating love with your words. It'll mean initiate, initiating physical affection, that's not just limited to the bedroom. It'll mean demonstrating to your wife that apart from your relationship to Jesus, that she has first place in your life, that she comes in above work, above your hobbies, above the TV, above your computer, above other friendships, and of course above other women too. It'll mean being tender toward her and courteous in the way you speak to her. It'll mean showing appreciation and gratefulness for all the ways that she serves you. Brother, this is the calling that God has for you as a husband. He has set a very high bar, hasn't he? And yes, at times we will all fail. But that doesn't mean we give up. Now, we've got a God who is ready and waiting to forgive us when we get it wrong, and He's always there, ready to help when we call upon Him for help. But now we come to another type of family relationship uh, that of children and parents. What is the command given to children here? Have a look with me at verse 20. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. So what are children to do? They're to obey their parents. In what? In everything. Why? Because again, this is what God wants. It pleases him. But what kind of children are being addressed here, do you think? Well, I take it that this command is directed to unmarried, dependent children. Uh, but the Bible's clear that when we get married, we're to leave our family of origin and begin a new family unit where the, the husband is the leader. And so if we're married, well, we're still to honour and respect our parents. Yes, absolutely. We're, we're still to, you know, look after them, care for them. Yes. But we're not called to obey them as such. But what about if you're a young adult I don't know, let's say a university student uh, living at home with your parents. Are you in this category of children spoken of here? Uh, are you to obey your parents in everything, do you think? Well, that's a somewhat harder answer, a question to answer, uh, simply because it's a concept foreign to the Bible. In Bible times, most people were married before they were out of their teens, And so the Bible doesn't really give us a direct answer here. And thankfully, I think most parents today recognise that adult children living at home ought to be given the space uh, to make the big decisions of life themselves. That that, that, that is actually part of helping them grow up. But, But I think that it's reasonable to say that if you are dependent on your parents... And that you are living in their home, that you really ought to obey them in everything. And that if you're not prepared to do so, then it's probably time to move out of home. Now, I know that most people who who fit this category of children um, were not here tonight. Most of them were in the kids' church this morning, hopefully listening very intently to this teaching. Um, but if you are here tonight, you happen to qualify as, you know, a child here, what does it actually mean for you to obey your parents? Well, obviously it means doing what your parents tell you to do and not doing what they don't want you to do. And it means obeying them willingly and without delay. That's the kind of obedience your parents are looking for. And more than that, the kind of obedience that jesus is looking for too and again notice there are no qualifiers here christian parents non-christian parents it doesn't matter you're simply called to obey them now of course of course as in all matters of human authority if your parents tell you to do something that that god forbids then of course you can't obey them then you know, God always has first allegiance here. So if your parents ask you to abort a baby or, or uh, lie or, or, or steal or worship an ancestor or um, give up your faith, then of course you're going to have to respectfully refuse to obey them then and, and bear their anger that may come. But otherwise... You're called to obey them in everything. And I know, I know that at times you'll want to go head to head with your parents because everything inside you will be telling you that that, that you know best and, and, and they don't. But friend, the fact is, you don't know best. God does. And you're going to have to trust him on this. And know that if you do, he will bless you. Okay, having spoken to children, Paul now turns his attention to the other side of the coin, to those in authority over the children, in particular, fathers. Read with me verse 21. Verse 21. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. So what are fathers told not to do? Embitter their children. Why? Because they will become discouraged. But why does Paul specifically address this command to fathers, do you think? You know, and and not to mothers or or to parents in general. Hmm. Is it because uh, fathers are more prone to embittering their children, do you think? Well, maybe. But I think it's probably got more to do with the father's role as family leader Uh, that he is the one ultimately responsible for making sure his kids aren't embittered either by himself or his wife and what sort of things cause our children to become embittered and discouraged Uh, all sorts of things there's being overly harsh with them in our discipline Uh, there's always putting them down and never building them up. There's crushing our children with with unrealistic expectations. There's withholding our love from them when they don't meet our standards. There's insisting that they make choices that are really all about making us look good rather than what's really best for them. There's Our hypocrisy as parents, when we say one thing and and do another. There's refusing to admit it when we get something wrong. There's having favourites among our children. And I'm sure the list goes on and on. But all these things embitter our children and lead to their discouragement. Discouragement with life in general. And even more significantly, discouragement in their faith too. See, embittering our children comes at a huge cost. So parents, we've got to avoid all these things. Parent, remember, you are the face of God's authority to your children. So like your heavenly Father is to you, be loving and gracious and and fair and forgiving and and gentle and and humble as you raise the, the kids that God has given you. And yes, once again, we'll fail at this at times, but once again, we can take great comfort knowing that that God is always there, ready to help us in this great task of raising our children in his love. And then finally, we come to the last part of today's passage, which gives God's instructions for the slave-master relationship. Now, it's important for us to understand the type of slavery in view here. I think often when we hear the word slave, you know, we automatically think uh, American slaves, you know, men, women, children snatched from Africa, um, taken to America and sold as slaves. But in Paul's day, slavery looked very different to that. Uh, Many people were slaves by choice. Uh, If you were poor, you could offer yourself as a slave for a, a period of time. It was like the social security of the day. Uh, Slaves were found in all levels of society, some in quite powerful positions. But you were still a slave. You you know, you you didn't have the freedom to just up and leave. Uh, You still had to listen to your master. If you were a slave working in a home, uh, then you were actually considered to be part of the household. Not that you had all the rights and uh, freedoms of everyone else, but you were a part of the family, so to speak. And that's why slaves are addressed here in this passage on family relationships. In fact, it would have been quite odd if Paul, talking about family relationships, had failed to mention slaves and masters, especially considering something like one in four people in the Roman Empire were slaves, one in four. And so it's not like Paul is making a judgment call on slavery here. He's not saying slavery is okay. All he's doing is working with the existing societal framework where household slaves were the norm. So what does he say? Well, first of all, he addresses Christian slaves and tells them that they need to obey their masters in everything. And then he addresses Christian masters and tells them that they need to care for their slaves, treating them in a way that's right and fair. Of course, now, today, praise God, here we are in 21st century Australia and and we've got laws forbidding slavery. And so we might wonder what relevance this part of the passage has for us today. Well, I think it has great relevance because in it we see principles that, that apply to all our family relationships see what really stands out here in this part of the passage are the reasons why the slave is to obey and the master is to be fair it's because ultimately there's someone else involved in these relationships jesus as we've seen elsewhere in colossians when we put our faith in jesus we become united to him our life is hidden in him and so we now bring him into all of our relationships, including our family relationships. And that changes everything about the way we now relate to one another. And so, for example, here uh, we see that the Christian slave is to obey his master in everything, all the time, not just when the master's looking so that he can get on his good side, but even when the master isn't looking as well. It's to be uh, an obedience that comes from the heart One that's not begrudging or half-hearted, but willing and joyful. Why? Because ultimately it's out of respect for Jesus, his, his Lord. Now the slave can wholeheartedly obey his earthly master, knowing that he's actually serving his heavenly master, Jesus. Even though the Christian slave will never receive an earthly inheritance... Now he can work hard for his earthly master, knowing that he has an even greater inheritance waiting for him in heaven through Jesus. What an encouragement this must have been to slaves who felt so powerless and, and unappreciated, whose future prospects seemed so bleak. And in the same way, Christian masters were to go out of their way to do what was right and fair for their slaves. Why? Because for them too, their unity with Jesus now made all the difference. Now they had become united to a heavenly master who greatly valued their slaves and would be deeply displeased if they were ever cruel to them. And now they were united to a heavenly master who had shown them such great mercy and kindness that it now would transform the whole way that they dealt with those people under their authority. Here, read with me from verse 22. Verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. And there is no favouritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Because you know that you also have a master in heaven. See, these verses on slaves and masters have great relevance for us today because they show us how our unity with Christ transforms our family relationships, that he's there with us in all of these relationships. And so now, whether we're in a position of authority as husbands or parents or called to a position of submission as wives or children... Now we'll strive from the heart to do our part his way. Out of reverence for him. Because of our accountability to him. And on account of our thankfulness for him. And when we do, oh, when we do. My friend, can you imagine being in a family which operates in the way that we've had described for us tonight. The wife's respect, bringing out the very best in her husband and her flourishing under his tender love. The parents' kindness, helping their kids want to obey them. And the children's cheerful obedience, causing the parents to trust them with even more responsibility. Can you imagine? Friends, can you imagine the peace? Can you imagine the love? Can you imagine the harmony? Can you imagine the laughter and the joy? Surely this is a family that you would love to be in. And it's all possible when each one does his or her part as directed by the Lord. But to finish tonight, let me leave you with just four final thoughts very, very quickly. Firstly, if you're unmarried and uh, living out of home here tonight, then then perhaps you've been thinking to yourself, gee, not much in that sermon for me tonight. Well, if that is you, then I I want you to think again. I want you to see that not only is this stuff invaluable for you to know so that you can actually help your friends who are struggling in marriages or in their family life, but I also want you to see that it's invaluable for you as you think about possible future spouses. Friend, can I urge you to only ever consider dating a Christian Who's fully on board with this view of marriage roles? If not, you're setting yourself up for a whole lot of conflict and heartache. Secondly, if you are in a family where someone is not doing their part, if your wife won't listen to you, if your husband is uh, selfish and critical, if your parents are unreasonable and demanding, what do you do then? Friend, let me tell you what not to do. Please don't go home tonight and shove these verses in their face. I guarantee it will have the exact opposite effect to the one that you're hoping for. Instead, let me encourage you to to simply commit to obeying Jesus in your own role. regardless of what that other person does or does not do. Remembering that chances are your obedience to this will in time soften the other person and bring about change in them. But that even if that never ever does actually happen, that the Lord is still very pleased with you and he'll bless you for it. Thirdly, let me quickly recommend a few resources to help you as you think through these issues further. First, for women, um, and I'll say married or unmarried women, okay, wanting to uh, grow as godly wives or mothers or to think about those issues a little bit more if you're not married, uh, my wife Beth uh, recommends uh, this book, uh, Feminine Appeal by Carolyn Mahaney. Uh, for men, single or married wanting to grow or learn more about how to be a a godly husband and father, uh, I personally thoroughly recommend this book, Point Man, by Steve Farrer. Very, very good book. Uh, Easy read and um, thoroughly recommend it. If there are uh, couples out there looking to think through their family roles together, can I recommend this book, uh, Married for God, by Christopher Ash. It's a book that covers a lot of ground Uh, And it's uh, it's actually one of the books that we use in premarital counselling here. Uh, At the end of each chapter, it's got some questions um, that you can do together as a couple or at least do do by yourself. And again, you'll get a lot out of it, I'm sure. If you'd like any of these books, uh, Beth has very helpfully offered to do a special order for you this week. And um, you'll find a sign-up sheet uh, with all the details back on the side wall. Uh, Go over and have a look after the service put your name down there if you want something. And then, fourth and finally, friend, if you're here tonight and you're really struggling in one of these relationships that we've covered, then I really want to strongly urge you to not just go on struggling alone, okay? Instead, I want to strongly urge you to to speak to someone about this struggle that you're facing. Uh, Maybe your Bible study leader, uh, maybe one of the elders of the church. Um, somebody in the ministry team. Friend, we would love to pray with you and we would love to help you to think about how how you can honour God in this particular relationship. So please speak to someone about this. But friends, no matter who we are, we've seen tonight that God holds out for us a beautiful picture of family life as he's designed it. So let's not ignore what's written on the label. Let's use only as directed. And let's allow him to give us the best family life we possibly can. Let's pray. Father, your word tells us that your wisdom is more profitable than silver, more precious than rubies, and that nothing else compares with it. So, Father, please help us to humble ourselves now and listen to your wisdom on family life. Father, may there be willing and joyful submission from wives, selfless and sacrificial love from husbands, wholehearted obedience from children, and encouraging godly leadership from parents. And Father, please help us to do these things in the strength of your Son, our Lord, that by his power our homes may be all that you design them to be and that through them we would bring you much glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.